you know about layer one D5, greatest in the world, and they finally about to see why. But you know about XRD, I'm smart money, y'all ain't never on a decline. But you know about NFTs, it's not just Ace, when you finally gonna realize you need scalability, need more utility, then you better call on these guys. I'm going radical, I'm going radish, I'm going radical, I'm going radish. I wish be D5, never on a decline, building the future, I feel like a savage. Hello and welcome. I am Piers Ridyard, CEO of RDX Works, a core developer of the decentralized finance protocol Radix, a public ledger entirely focused on bringing DeFi into the mainstream. This is our podcast, The DeFi Download, a show about decentralized finance and all things crypto, where we dive into the details of the projects, assets and services that are powering the DeFi revolution. Today, I have Willie Wu, managing partner at Crest and Seize Crest, a fund that builds financial products to give higher yield than T-bills by harvesting the volatility in crypto. Willie, welcome to the show. Hey, Piers. Been a while. Great to be here. It has. It's been a hot minute. I think like you are our number one. You are our first guest of the DeFi download. Uh, and this was um, this was actually in a really interesting episode because the title of the ex- episode was Bitcoin at $65,000 per Bitcoin. And this was your prediction of where Bitcoin was going to go. And at that point, I think we were trading probably around the 12 thousands mark maybe maybe a little bit higher um and so sixty five thousand sounded crazy it sounded like this number where i was just like that sounds punchy and then and then and then it turned out to be almost exactly right i think you were within three thousand dollars of the top and that was called 12 months before um the we actually topped so it was pretty pretty impressive um uh call yeah, I I didn't even recall saying that. I was probably something I just took a stab at. I don't usually give price predictions, um, particularly back then. And so it's only since you reminded me of it now, Piers, that, um, yeah, that, I guess that that's what I said. <laughs> but certainly yeah. I, I was a lot more bullish um, once, the, once um, the bull market was underway. I had models around it and... Um, you know, I thought it would go a lot higher and, you know, um, and that was also because I wrapped some models around it and, um, the markets did change, um, quite markedly, um, in that cycle that was different Mm. from every other cycle. So, yeah, I think that had an impact and I think, yeah, sure. That was like just a, a gut guess back before I had wrapped models around it, um, when it turned out to be more right than you know what the models were saying so yeah which is i think interesting right like the 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 frequency in which sort of like intuition can be correct um is 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 definitely higher than random chance especially for people who spend most of their time looking at data and reading data there's like what the data tells you and then there's sort of to some extent, what feels right as well. And and um, I think that often as humans, we go searching for, we, we can often end up in the bucket of going and searching for um, validation of our own thoughts rather than uh, analysis of uh anal- making decisions based on good analysis and and i think that this is constantly the battle is like is what i'm looking at actually correct or am i either biased because i have made up my own mind of what number i want 
or am I biased for some other reason? Like because the models have been wrong in the past, so they may be wrong in the future. And and when when you look at sort of your your history of of building data tools to be able to understand markets better, where where do you sit on on that side of the fence? Like how how much do you trust? How much do you put? importance in your gut versus how much do you put in the data and how do you stop um, counterintuitive results from being disregarded when you do that? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough question because when you build models, I mean, they're always going to be wrong. All models are wrong. They always break down. Um, and you know, honestly, I, I think... Um, you know, particularly short-term models, uh, I think there's a lot of internal instinct and gut just knowing those markets. And, you you know, the shorter-term stuff is really, really very random and it's it's much harder to wrap models around. And I, I would say that side of things, there's just models upon models upon models and then they're all just modelling different dimensions, different views into the market. And, you know, you... you it's not that the models are wrong they're actually telling you exactly what you're you know you told it to measure it's just that mm. um it's only one part of the you're looking at and somewhere along the line um there's a decision to be made on which one has dominance and i think that really comes down to well you know like some amount of instinct of what is driving the market and sure you can build a governing model <laughs> on you know the last past amount of time like what seems which model seems to be to to be the more dominant one you know whether you're measuring for example the futures market in some dimension of it Mm. or the 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 liquid to illiquid um sort of movements on chain or the spot movements you know these are all different types of views into the market and you can you, you can have endless models looking at it you know behavioral models and whatnot um, and you, you can either take a gut instinct on what's happening there, on which models apply, and then you could take the quantitative approach. problem with the quantitative approach is you, you can look at the past and say, oh, look, we're transitioned from this influence, like say the futures have been very dominant, now we're going to spot markets, so now we should mm. allocate more more to that driver of of, of um into the markets and but the thing is the problem is you're looking in the past and you're taking a, a sample of the past and so if you want you know you can either um just constantly look in the past and then project that forward and it'll be wrong because mm. the, it's not like that you know the, right. it keeps changing or you can sort of get a you know do the human approach and try and get a gut instinct you know so um i think it's a mix really i've done both um but I think also, you know, it's it's hard to discount the 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 instinct um, just from you know thin slicing the human side of it. So on the short side, uh, short term side of it, I think it's more like that. Um, longer term, um, probably less so. Um, as in you think your yeah. instincts are less good over the long term, as in not yours specifically, but a person's instincts get less accurate the further out you look. It's it's more that um, the further out you look, um, the, the clearer things become. Um, right. And you don't need to, you know, 
even if you were to like look at um, all these different models, looking at different views of it, they start to become, I think they all start to become very, very much the same um, as you zoom out. Um, and so, you know, like you, you might look at um, like on-chain models, you can look at future markets models, you can look at volatility models. And as you zoom out, you'll start to see that they all oscillate around these long-term cycles. And actually they all start to converge and then you don't need to guess so much. You just mm. put them all together and this is what they say. And it's objectively the case and all the short-term noise filters out. And it is that in that short-term noise that you're delving into. It looks like noise when you zoom out, but when you're right. trying to predict what happens tomorrow or next week or a few weeks from now, that actually is short-term noise, but it is actually not random noise. Um there's yeah there's it reminds a me of uh, yeah it reminds me of um the, there's this this wonderful economist called uh, robert schiller he created the case schiller house price index uh and he does this um uh he does economics introduction to economics at harvard uh which is an open course that you can watch online and he took one of his uh one of the sort of like key phrases that always comes back to me from his lectures um is uh the markets are a random walk with an upward trend and like all of the statistical 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 analysis that he's done across the markets basically show that it's statistically insignificant versus randomness like that there is no there is no statistical significance but randomness in the market um the only thing you can say about it is over the long term it has an upwards trend yeah i'm i mean like i, I i've often said you know you have there's the uh wisdom of crowds and effectively the what do they call it the efficient market theory hypothesis, where um yeah. hypothesis that um you know everything is priced in it's perfectly um pricing in the market so i actually think yes. long term that that price discovery is very very um efficient but yes. in sh in the short term i've been known to say this is back in 2018 2018 2019 is that um the short-term price of bitcoin is a random walk in the direction that liquidates the most traders on bitmix um, <laughs> and that, that's uh, <laughs> that's actually the truth of it actually you can actually you you will find the price will move in the direction that will blow up the most traders because there that's actually the game that's been played in the short term is to force oh. the other side um to lose so that you can get the payday um you know post most so people think which yeah, well, well so, most people so think trade. Yeah, okay. Is the, count, is, is the counter trade to that just then like looking at the funding rate and just doing the opposite of whatever's doing on Bitmax? Yeah, well, well, it's it's no longer trade on Bitmax. You know, it's trade on multiple markets and these multiple um, positions in different markets. And usually, Binance has got a huge um, role in it now. Um, Right. And also, you know, it's not always like, um, you know, there's there's zones where everyone's in one on one side of the trade, and so there's so much money on it to liquidate them all. So you'll often find that it, that happens because it it just can't, you know, there's too much money to be made to blow them up, um, and, and so it's not actually random, but it looks random, um, and it's probably indistinguishable from randomness if you take it from a statistical viewpoint. 
I, I don't know. But um, when you start to look at, uh, you know, when we're standard deviations outside of the norm where there's so much money to go and take it the other direction, that, that happens. Um, right. And then there's some times in the middle where, you know, it could go either way because there's, there's no coherency in the market and no one knows. Um, but other times it becomes very, very certain um, and, and, and it's certain to blow up the most people. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I agree with it. But I used to say that that randomness is statistically maybe true. But when you're playing the game of trading, um, you know, and remember, people think that trading is like taking a bet in the direction of the price, the future price, short term price. But that's not trading. Trading is actually um, the real players. The market's not uniform. The market is lumpy, and the, the 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 really good players have a lot of capital, and so when they see all the small players going in one direction, they'll move it in the other. Um, right. That's it's how that's that's how markets work. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I used to say um, traders sit in this. We think you know traders sit in the stadium making bets on the gridiron game, you know, American football, um, right. but actually the real traders are on the field pushing for yards, bulls and bears, and they're moving it. Um, mm. and, and so that that's the real game of trading in the short term. In the long term, it's like price discovery, you know, um, at a certain what, point. What do you think, like, what do you think the social value of trading is? Like, like if you, if you strip it all away from the uh from the zero sum game of me versus you in the market and look at the externalities that are created by the mar by by trading like what what do you would you say as someone who started off and the reason i asked this question is i think there's that there's there's an important sort of extra element to this in why crypto like a lot of the reasons that people got into crypto in the first place was it was a dissatisfaction in the way that the financial markets were run essentially for uh insiders the way that sort of um the governments would come in and and uh take away from the individual savers and put it into the into the pocket of bankers um as a and and like that casino that was set up for people for a small number of people to be able to bet very large um amounts of money that wasn't even theirs uh to be able to uh, get gains to create that create this sort of wider divide in society like a lot of the stuff that i look at in crypto today feels like we're just recreating this in it, but this time it's more of the geeks that are getting to do it like what would your what would your thoughts on this be yeah, I mean, at the the most philosophical fundamental level, you need markets, right? Um, you need a price on something, and you need it to be set by the, the the free market. Like for like, let's say, look at Bitcoin. You know, it's it's one cent a coin. It's thirty thousand dollars a coin. Um, that that's if there was no price on it. There's no way you can transmit value, therefore it's useless as a monetary asset. And then the market needs to be solid. It needs to, if I want to sell my one Bitcoin for $30,000, I need to know that someone's going to pay it instantly within the next second. And if I wanted to sell a thousand Bitcoins, I want to know that I can do that into a liquid market and it can be cashed out for something new. So um, that, that, um, I mean, that, it's probably, it's obviously, I, I think it's very obvious, but actually the nuance on that is um, maybe you don't see it. It's like we think it's a zero-sum game, but 
this is what this is the second order impact that these guys trying to take money off each other do is that there's strong liquidity there's um, multiple billions of dollars in bitcoin traded every single day and that means you me anyone else that wants to get in and out can um, instantly and that's really important for for any monetary asset um, and then you we get into this realm now that we've got this 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 market um, and you look deeper into it yeah it's not a fair market um, no markets are actually fair because the participants have different advantages and you know if I come into the market and I hold um, actually the, the number is around 10% if I have enough assets um, of 10% of the market of the spot market Generally, mm. I can push the price around pretty confidently wherever I want, and and mm. you know these ways. You mean you exist. mean ten percent, ten percent in the asset of the circulation supply of the asset plus ten percent of the value of ten percent. So, as in, because you need you need both directions, right? Yeah, I would say um, let's keep it simple. I I, I found that um, if I had ten percent of the daily volume in a particular market, and you can learn this yeah. by trading tiny little altcoin markets, if you own ten percent of the daily volume of that particular coin, and some coins are very illiquid, that means that you can control the price much easier. You can push it around, and you start to realize, oh, um, if you you sit in front of a screen and you're trading it for a month, right? Um, you start to go realize that you're not actually trading against a market. You realize, I think I'm trading with six other people, um, and they all roughly got the same kind of ammo as I do, and we can push it around within limits. And mm. this is actually how you know this is a great thing about altcoins is that, like, um, I, you know, a teenager with not necessarily a lot of money can actually get into a tiny little market and and spend enough hours to realize holy moly this is how a market works um it's not equal um and that's no different in the big leagues where you're, you're trading trade fire with with um you know billions of dollars and bitcoin's no different either um you can actually see the the bids and offers being moved um on the exchanges with a thousand bitcoin ask or or um, a bid you know and it's suddenly that scares the the the, the price in another direction mm. so the, these things happen um and um yeah so a there's it's great crypto allows all of us to experience what it likes what it's like to be a whale um just pick a tiny little <laughs> pick a tiny little coin you know um you know back in the day it was poloniex it was about i don't know 118 um, markets and you know bitcoin the top ethereum down next and then you keep going down and it's like there's high stakes poker that's uh, bitcoin so is ethereum and then you just go down and it's like oh, i'm gonna play that little you know noob game there um ranked mm. 80th right on the and then you know buy your buy your tokens and then you can trade it <laughs> and you can get an advantage and so yeah you know you you wouldn't experience that in any other type of uh of you know trade fire you know you, you would need right you would need a lot of money and credibility so there's that um there's the other thing is you know in, in crypto we have um every transaction being transparent and so you know i just came back from singapore um 
with the token 2049 and you know this is one of the things that you know i was presenting on on chain you could you could see every single transaction now we've got there's a liquidity heat map um here's the liquidation levels in the Aave um lending pool there's all this DeFi data um and mm. actually in tradfi that data is available it's just not to us right it's Right, BlackRock can buy it. Fidelity can buy it. Right, you know, Robin why, Hood. Why, why, why Citadel provides exactly. trade settlement to everyone is because it gives them the trade flow information. They are, they and, know, like exactly. And so it's it is actually again like if you were to say the whale has the advantage, I have ten percent of the daily traded volume. Well, these guys do have that, and now they have all the data on top of that to guarantee that their mm. trades can be successful. And then mm. on the DeFi world, at least everyone can see that, you know, it's, you may need to pay some subscription to a data uh, provider that's collating all of those transactions and making sense of it. So you get a nice right. visual of the heat map or shout, so shout out to Glassnode and June analytics on that front. Exactly. This is like, there's a lot of um, democratization of that data and that's not private. It's open networks. So uh, there's that, and you know, presumably we we uh, we already um, see when these are what the whales are doing <laughs> because they're transactionally, uh, you know, very very uh, 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 you know very tr transparent, and so there's. So, a lot do of you think that we should fight as an industry against uh, privacy and DeFi? Like, do, do you think that the that that what is lost as a result? of uh not having on having everything on chain and therefore not having only having pseudonymity is the 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 actual social gain of having everything transparent and open on ledger uh means that the market overall can be fairer than it would be otherwise uh i mean there's you know the I think that we should have transactions that are private. Um, mm. But when we come down to a very, very special type of transaction, and that's the transaction that is um, a trade on a, a decentralized exchange, I think that that should be um, transparent. Because mm. if you look at all of the work that the SEC does, it's really about trying to break the advantage of whales, insiders, mm. the, the people that can manipulate the markets. And so you do that through a process of disclosures. Um, and, you know, right now, like the SEC is hammering a lot of uh, crypto projects, um, but not realizing, I don't think, and I don't think the policy really acknowledges that crypto has its own regulation framework and that's called um, open ledger right, right. The, there is disclosure right. but at the fundamental protocol level and i think that if you run a dex um, and you want to prevent manipulation you just keep the open disclosure um, side of the protocol and i think um, once you pull it off and maybe you want to um, keep your transaction private because you know that's a human need um, i don't want everyone in the world seeing what I spend my right. money on, right? It's it's just, I think that's important. Um, I just don't think, you know, so I think that we have like privacy, um, you know, privacy in our own spending 
that's different from a DEX where you're actually buying and selling the the you know at, at scale at scale yeah. buying and selling. Um, I think there's there's a difference there. Yeah, I I, I I tend to agree with you. I think that there are still a bunch of problems to sort out um, when you start to look at things like MEV uh, and uh, the, the fact that the mempool is open and therefore viewable means that you can, and the fact you can reorder blocks means that as a result of being able to see transactions, you can front run them. Um, and so you have this secondary gain that then comes out as a result of the financial info, the openness of the ledger versus the ability to sort of like have a closed box of an exchange where I put my orders into the order book, but I don't see what order they came into the order book until it's executed in a way, uh, you know, like you would see on the NASDAQ that that's very difficult to achieve on public ledgers. So there is, there is, there are costs to transparency, but I think overall, I agree with you. I think it's solvable. I mean, the same MEV is also, um, you know, that's prolific in the TradeFi world. You know, it's 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 called high frequency trading, and it's basically another word for front running. All right, and there's the they, you know, through the course, there's there's been people that have built systems to help mitigate that, and I think that's a solvable problem too. You know, um, mm. so you know, I've, it's not solved now. Um, but it is solvable, and it exists in the TradeFi world. And, you know, the TradeFi markets still work. Um, and, you know, so it, it's, yeah, yeah, it's an issue, but it's not a primary issue. I think the main primary issue is manipulation of the markets by the whales. Um, and, yeah, it's, you can solve that. You know, and this is, this is, this is just, beyond DeFi, right it's like well it, it, you we have we've got our nft markets that, that is highly prone to ma- manipulation you know you mm. mint you mint your nft and you buy it off yourself and then you buy it right. off yourself again and again and right. again I mean, that's the the right. classic so if you can solve these things um and build into the protocol a way where we can easily see that um we've got pretty solid internal regulation yeah I think sort of like sun, the, 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 I love the saying like sunlight is the best disinfectant, like the transparency of a public ledger is, is something that I think does lead to, um, a, at least a fairer dispersal of, of markets information. Um, it doesn't solve for everything because obviously, um, different people have different information. Um, and that, by the time it's expressed on the market, it may be too late, which I think that is where a lot of things around like disclosures and insider trading and all of that kind of stuff is going to come into the market still. Um, because I, I, I'm, I'm definitely in the, if, if you look at the, this sort of three forms of the efficient markets hypothesis, there's the strong form, the weak form, and uh, the sort of like the antithesis as in markets are not efficient, right? So strong form states that all... Uh, all available information is in is incorporated into the price at any given point, meaning that you can never bet you can never beat the market um, if the if it, as soon as the information is known, the market price will change. As in, like an a, an everyday person can never beat the market. The weak form is that only publicly available information 
or publicly understood information is is priced into the market, which means that if you can get an if you can get an edge by uh, through analysis um, that the market hasn't thought about or through insider information, then you can get an advantage on the market. I generally subscribe to the weak form of the uh, efficient markets hypothesis, which uh, I think is why it's important you have rules around insider trading and disclosures and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and then sort of like markets aren't in, uh, aren't efficient. And I think the further down the market cap of any stock or share or token or whatever you go, the more that the market itself becomes illiquid, lightly traded, uh, lumpy, and, and not really efficient at all. Um, and that transparency on Ledger is certainly helpful, but it's not, it's not everything. It still doesn't incorporate all of the behaviors that can cause manipulation, mispricing, um, you know, sort of insider capture, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the, what's the strong form is, in my view, is just doesn't even work because the physics doesn't work like that. Um, <laughs> because, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, if you think, think of the markets as a super intelligence, um, it's a superhuman intelligence, right? Um, right? There's a lot of brains working on where, where it's priced at. Um, so you think of the the inefficient markets, these really low cap ones. You don't have the same number of human minds, or even actually, in some cases, machine learning right algorithms trying to mm. price it, and so therefore it's inefficient. Mm. And then the soft form is, um, I mean, that's it, it, even if the the if all the information that is public um, is perfectly communicated, right. Mm. Um, you're missing time. It's not going to hit all participants in the market mm. equally. So the people that can react the fastest, who are fully dedicated, probably have algorithms that re are reading the SEC filings or, or whatever, the blockchain, mm. as it hits with the lowest latency, they will have more information than the next guy. So there's mm. a speed element, and clearly physics shows that you one participant will beat the other because they're faster. Right. Um, right. And so yeah, you, you, there's definitely a way you can beat the market if because the market is not all 100% um, normalized um, average um, Joe blogs. You know, you know some people no, are I, very smart, I, some are very fast. I, I think I think the the weak the weak form. I, I mean, either the strong or the weak form does hold an important lesson to the majority of people though what you're right you're right about there is going to be a player who has a speed advantage in some way but what most people can't fathom or don't realize is quite how much resource goes into creating that speed advantage and quite how few people yeah. actually have the opportunity to be that to win that like if you if you think that you're going to get a speed advantage by just having like a simple ml algorithm running on your computer you're wrong like you need to have optimized every single part of the information flow your ability to analyze and your ability to respond to sort of fractions of seconds or less to be able to be even in with a chance of beating the market on a piece of information that comes in which means i think that for all intents and purposes um sort of at least for the larger traded things where those players are actually involved you can just say most people can just say if it's already known in a disclosure, if it's already like publicly out, um, that isn't where I'm going to get my alpha from. That isn't where I'm going to be able to work out how to get an advantage in working out what the value of something is or, or, or be able to trade signals on. Yeah, I agree with that.
I mean, there's two advantages. One is better, better um, digest. Oh, there's three, right? Insider trading, better access to information one has. Uh, there's the the next one, which is better way of modeling the data in ways in which no one else can model that and digest it to come up with a price model. And mm-hmm. you know, the the last one is being faster than everyone else. Just sheer speed Mm -hmm. that's where you get into like i'm front running (laughs) and all sorts of things like um yeah you if you you can react faster so speed um smarts and then sneaky smarts yeah this uh, goes back to the um uh the wonderful quote in uh what was it called the big short was it the big short uh i think it was the big short where he said uh be first be smarter or cheat yeah, you're right. That's exactly this. Or I, I don't recall that quote, but that's exactly it. Um, right. And, and yeah, this, this and is I, why um, hodling works, right? <laughs> Going back to the <laughs> the, the, the Schiller, right. you know, saying you know, long term it goes up. Just sit right. on it. It's it's a random walk with an upwards trend, and like ultimately yeah. hodling. And this is, I think, this is why hodling is is such a good strategy for most people in that it's a if you if you zoom out from the technical analysis and the volatility and the noise of a market and instead just focus on the underlying fundamentals of a thing the underlying fundamentals of a thing are often easier to reason about um from a from a first principles point of view and once you have believe that you've identified something that has strong underlying fundamentals the 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 next the next best thing is just then to buy it and hold it um at least that that's the way i look at markets like i think i think trading and i think uh, technical analysis is 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 the male equivalent of horoscopes like it's uh it, it, it generally speaking is and and you, and I think what you said was really right, which is like it's not that the model is wrong; it's just it doesn't have enough information in it. It's like it's 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 telling you what you've asked it, but the questions aren't quite aren't aren't encompassing enough to actually be instructive for what is going to happen next, uh, with any degree of um, uh, repeatability or reliability. Feel free to yeah. debate me on this because I'm very happy to to, to hear the other side. I mean, this is a this is an ongoing, endless debate. Um, I I would say, look, you know, my day job is, you know, I'm a fund manager, and we we allocate to automated trade trading algorithms. So everything yep. has statistical rigor, right? And yes, there are arbitrage trades which will always beat the market because they're they're seeing if I do this trade, I will win. It's yes. overpriced here, underpriced. I can see here, the price. Bit. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Yeah, right. Sure. So that's one right. way, and then the other one is directional trading, and um, that one's really hard to get right. Uh, but <laughs> you know what? There are a number of algorithms out there that they get it right, right? Um, and I know one that you know. There's a number. This is very popular in FX, which is. You feed in um, the, the the candles, the price over time, and then you tell it to recognize the particular trade setups. Um, you know, and these are technical patterns, actually. All they're doing is trading technical patterns numerically, and then you, uh, you give it a score of how reliable is it. Um, 
you know, how reliable is this pattern? And you based it to statistically on some measure, and you make the trade, and then you know that you might be wrong forty um, percent of the time, maybe fifty-five percent of the time. You just got to kick yourself out of the trade if it's not going your way, and these systems work again and again and again. Part of it's risk management, a big part of it. The other bit is the patterns do actually show something inside. Like when a pat- a price pattern does something, um, you know, plays a particular way, it is indicating to you the behavior of the market. Is is um, the price is coming down, now it's gone flat, right? And mm. so you know there's going to be a volatility squeeze. It's gone straight. What what that means is there's a particular thing that's happening in the market. Like people are putting their lines in the sand around this price and it's going sideways. Mm. Then you know that when it goes one way, it's going to break out massively because the other side's going to get trashed and they've got to cover. There. If they've gotten short, they've got to buy it back. And so, mm. so if it goes the wrong way, they've got to add their power to the direction they bet it against as mm. they laid down their position. So you get these squeezes. So that's one fundamental, but it's laid down in the price pattern. So I, I disagree that technical patterns don't matter. Um, they very much are telling what traders are doing and so here's showing. the question though do they matter enough so like for, for the for the person like you talked about the teenager in the bedroom right who is who is who, who's who's a noob who's coming into this market should he spend all of his time looking at technical patterns like you know, drawing the 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 I I can't remember what they're called, like the the regressions and the the bull flags and the bella flags and all of the other stuff. Or should he spend his time learning the fundamentals of the market, learning the fundamentals of the players, and taking a longer term view on understanding the asset class that he's actually trading? Like, what what is the direction that kid should be taking, and and why? Well, you know, uh, if if you if you're gonna trade, you want to trade with all the, the 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 available information that you know. You you want to learn the asset you're trading, <laughs> so you need to know fundamentally what what the heck are you trading, all right? Um, are you trading um, you know crypto kitties? Are you trading tulips? Are you trading um, you know Pokemon cards? Or are you trading Bitcoin? These have it tells you something about how you should hold your position longer term and then you should be learning technical patterns you should be learning fundamentals you should be learning all of it and then find your strength in it because it's a zero-sum game in the short term it's a zero-sum game so so you're just taking money off each other um yeah i remember this this is this is where i this is where i personally again this is sort of very much personal stuff but it's like I, I don't want to learn zero sum games. I don't like in, in many ways, as in I have to understand them well enough to understand what the, the dynamics of them are, but I don't want, I, I, I don't like spending time. The amount of time I see people spending on like technical analysis uh, and, and, and trading, trading charts that is essentially all of their free time versus being able to build up build up a a um to educate themselves to better themselves to increase their understanding of something to the point where they're actually able to be productive in some way other than just guessing what the next random movement of the market is like those two things feel one feels 
like a bad yeah. I mean, point. this 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 gets very very philosophical, and we can be very um, you can be very like you know rational about it. It's like we shouldn't be playing zero sum games, and we should be playing these games that are additive and compounding. We should all be playing compounding games, right? Right. Um, but the problem is life philosophically uh, <laughs> life doesn't always work like that right there's going to be some kid that is just born to trade and when i say born to trade i mean they're winning i mean that's all they think about that's the mm-hmm. only thing that lights them up and i say just go do it if that's the case if you you're, you're trading to make some money because you're actually after the money but you don't love the the hunt of that zero-sum game then that's probably a bad idea. Go find some compounding game. But if you just can't wait to get out of bed and just do nothing but trade, you know. And, and I, I've, I, this, I posted on Twitter. I met this trader, and um, no one believed the story. He, he, he was, um, he was kidnapped. Um, I think he was a successful trader, and he. He climbed out the rear window, he smashed the rear window and ran for it. And these guys shot him. He was shot nine times. He was just running away. And um, and they, he survived. And in the ICU ward, in the ICU ward, he asked um, for his laptop. And then he started trading in the ICU <laughs> That's... He was born to trade. That's what lights him up. It probably helped his recovery. He said it was bored as hell. And he was sitting there, and this is what lit him up. So he's one of the few that's a born trader. He's He doesn't sleep. The mar- He sleeps when the market sleeps. Um, he'll go hours, days, without sleeping until the market sleeps. And then, you know, he loves it. It's the only thing he, he lives for. Um, so I, I wouldn't tell that person... Go play compounding games, all right? Um, and actually, he's contributing to the market at some level. He's he's adding liquidity, he's adding efficiency, and and all of civilization, our um, over hundred hundred trillion of world GDP, is based on markets working and being efficient. So you can look at look at it like that as well. Um, so. Um, and you know, I, I just watched uh, was it uh, Gran Turismo, <laughs> and that that was like the, the the parent telling the kid, you know, don't be like me. Look, I work on the railways, and um, stop playing that game. And you know, he just didn't want to do anything other than race cars, and that was his only access to it by playing this game. And he became a professional race car driver, and you just don't mm. know where it ends up at, right? Um, and I think. Right. Um, you know, I, I personally did this uh, the startup um, back in my past, um, you know, as a while back, and I thought I thought I needed to do something useful for society. Um, this is like nth nth startup, you know, not like my mm-hmm. early startups where I was just like couldn't get out of wait to get out of bed to do this thing. I was so excited. I was like, we need to solve this problem because no one's going to solve it, and um, I realized. I thought that was purpose. Purpose was doing mm. something useful in society. It's not. Mm. Um, purpose is you really feel purpose. Is um, purpose is when you wake up out of, and there's nothing you want to do except that thing. Like that trader, that's his purpose. 
you know it just right. lights them up and i think that's all we need to shoot for we can get philosophical about compounding games or zero-sum games but ultimately this is a life philosophy i think um so. I think I think that's a really important point. Is like purpose is an internal fu- function, not an external function. Um, and I think you you know you can find purpose in many many things, but it has to be purpose purposeful for you as well as purposeful. Like it it, it has to be purposeful for you. I'm actually just going to stop it at that. It has to be purposeful for you. It for it to add meaning to your life. Um, and I I think a lot of people. Um, search for purpose externally and when they try and find that purpose as a result of what they think purpose looks like um but for like purpose can be purpose can be anything as long as as long as it 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 gets you up in the morning and makes you want to go and do that thing and that's the thing that you want to go and do and that that brings you satisfaction in going and doing it better every day yeah, I mean, it's just I think I'd, I'd summarize it as um, purpose is not um, purpose is not a rational thing. We used to call it external. It's not a rational thing. Purpose isn't like oh, you're doing something and it helps that widget helps other people. That's a rational thing. Purpose is an energy equation. When you you do this thing, you get more energy from it. It lights you up. And you want to do more of it, and you just it's this ascending cycle of getting more and more amped over the thing you're doing um it's an energy equation it's it's nothing rational um steve jobs was like that apparently he was like you know he's dying he's dying and he started like in his biography the isaac walshison um like um biography as he started talking about the iphone near his deathbed he started to pick up He started to animate. He started to live again, mm. and mm. you know, so that's that's purpose. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and also like the other thing I thought was really interesting about his biography is that um, while he was in the hospital, he was giving feedback, critical feedback on the hospital equipment from a from a UX <laughs> perspective. Like, exactly, and like yeah, and like in in his plane when he had his plane done, he couldn't just like his own private jet like he had to go and actually obsess over every single detail about how the plane was from a user from a usability point of view same with his boat same with his house like everything his his obsession was about that it should just work properly it should just be brilliant it should be brilliant like why would it be anything less exactly and this is where we'd segue into Radix, right? Because I've, <laughs> I've met you and Dan and what was that? It was 2017. And I know, what when did this start? 2014? It's like, was it 2014? Or even 2013? 20, 2013 is when, it's, when Dan started. I okay. joined in 2017. Okay. Yeah. So you're working on this project for 10 years, right? 10 years till full mainnet launch just this week, right? And... If you don't have purpose, you don't have that energy equation driving you forward, you're not going to last for 10 years, you know. Um, So, yeah, that would be the segue to Radix, I would say. Um, Yeah, I I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that... Yeah, it's like, what is it? Like, um, people under overestimate what can be done in short term and long term very much underestimate just how big something can get and um 
actually, if you're doing this kind of purpose where the energy equation works, um, it's the only way to get doing something for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you know, how, how many years was um, these, you know, all these large companies running for? They're all mm. multiple decades before they hit massive scale. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is the white reason I love compounding games, right? Like compounding games can over like the, the initial gains can be small, but if they are, if, if you are, um, persistent and consistent and determined and you have a wider vision that you're aiming towards, but you also have, are able to break that vision down into steps along the path that are feasible and achievable and executable on, right? Like that you don't like vision without the, the interim milestones is unachievable. But like, if you can play that game of each step that you need to go along the way towards what you're trying to do, you like, you wake up in 10 years and suddenly you have the tech stack that Radix is. And that was not something that someone was able to wake up and, and do in a month or a year or three years or five years. It's something that has taken very large number of people a very long period of time. But that overarching vision has meant that that compounding game has become is starting to get has started now to get an incredible amount um, of of energy behind it because that the the obsession of Dan and then the later obsession of myself, which, you know, our, our obsessions definitely complement each other. Dan's from a sort of fundamental tech point of view, me from like a user experience, usability point of view have, have created this, this, this huge system that could only have been created over a multi-year process of obsession, dedication and focus. Um, and and yeah, that's I, I suppose at base why I think compounding games overall are more satisfying. But I mean that's because I'm a compounding game player. Like that's that's what it comes down to. Yeah, there was a, there was a this is like version four, right? I think yeah. there was like many, many ways that were tried and sometimes many years of investment into it and then it needed to change. Um Yeah. So yeah, hats off on that one. But but each of those iterations taught us something, right? Each of those iterations meant that we were able to make the next one better. Yeah. Yet you wouldn't have done it if you were after the short term game. Right. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Yeah. And we certainly wouldn't have done it if we thought it was zero sum. Right? Like the 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 opportunity for web3 crypto public ledgers it, to me isn't isn't that it eats traditional finance the opportunity for me for this space is that it increases the capabilities of humanity and like yeah, that right. may yeah No, sorry. <laughs> Carry no, on. That was it. That no, was I it. I'm agreeing with it. <laughs> it's no, no, it's just like it's, it was an absolute goal, not a, I, yeah, yeah. I want to beat what's out there. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, I think what struck me was um, the integrity I saw in the team. Um, 
I mean, I just I don't want to turn this into a shill um, Radex podcast or anything, but like, I don't think I'd be. No, I certainly wouldn't be on this podcast if I didn't see integrity in the team. Um, I, I think, um, I think that there was times where there were easy wins where the network wasn't ready and it could have been launched into. Um, Actually, it could have been launched into two bull markets. The 2017 bull market it could have been yep. launched into, actually. could have been launched into the last bull market, rushed in with the, the, the last iteration that was scaling like crazy but had, um, you know, a floor under some edge case um, under a, a security audit um, based on secondary markets. Yep. You didn't launch it. didn't take the potentially billions certainly hundreds of millions on on as a payday because you stuck to the you stuck to the um integrity of your vision over the quick payday i don't think many people realize that um so yeah yeah i mean our when when we were in the 2017 bull market like we i i put up a so tempo the consensus algorithm had, had the white paper had recently gone out gone out Con, like scaling solutions was like the the main narrative of the entire crypto space in the layer one game it's sort of around the time of eos around the time of um all of those those projects that that were able to take billions off the table and we um we put a simple like sign up process to see what kind of interest we'd have in market and i think um in like a, a couple of months time we had over half a billion dollars worth of interest registered to sort of buy the token of radix uh and we we opted not to we opted not to go to market uh and i think that again this the, this comes down to this whole question of what game are you playing and being very clear with yourself what game you're playing. Um, because I, I, th- I do think that's the only way to, like, effecting true change requires a degree of activation energy that most people are unwilling to play to. And you kind of have to keep that, that solely in view because if you if you take the short term if you take the short term wins at the wrong time you actually make it impossible for you to reach the long term wins and 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 that's been the basis of every one of our decisions that we've made yeah certainly if you'd launched on the earlier iterations you it's very hard to make any changes once these things launch the blockchains yep. are very hard i mean yep. yeah we know that and it's very hard to change a reputation, right? Once yeah. once something launches in the wrong way. In the tech space, it's usually um, quicker to launch the next thing and start from scratch. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna round it out now, Willie. It's been such a pleasure having you on. Thank you for for your always fascinating discussions um, <laughs> and. Uh, I, I uh, and yeah, I I really hope uh, we get to do this again. Maybe in two years' time, we we can check in again on uh, on where things are, and uh, we can we can shill radix again together. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I look forward to it in two years. In two years. It's a long time from now in, in, in this space we're in. Um, but I look forward to it. Peace. Thanks for having me. I'm going radical, I'm going radis, I'm going radical, I'm going radis. I wish be D5, never on a decline, building the future, I feel like a savage.